In Acts, in, in verse 3, here, and we're going to go down to verse, oh, like verse 11. I didn't want to go too far past that, but we might get past that today. But Acts 28, verse 3, it says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said amongst themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have a swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief men of the island, Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laid at us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed into a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Now the last two, last couple of words, the names there, that's what got my attention. I mean, there's a lot of applications, and I was like, what in the world is Castor and Pollux? Where do you hear this? This is incredible. And we, it basically it pronounces the paganism that was going on in the day. But this ship pulls up, and it has these signs on it. You can imagine what it looked like. Well, going back a little bit, the Roman centurions. We talked about them a lot last week, but it's amazing the ingratitude of the soldiers where they were saying all the people that were on the ship, their shipwreck, they wanted to kill them. But it's amazing how there were a lot of soldiers but look at the power of one Roman centurion. And if you study, you'll find out that because of the wording here, that's the Septuagint in the Greek, and you come back and you see the wording, you will find out that Publius himself was also a Roman centurion over actually more than 100. And he was placed on that island, and he had lots of power. And there were certainly these centurions. Some of them were not very rich. They didn't have a whole lot. Some of them had great possessions. Publius on this island was given great possession, and I think I know why. So basically, here one Roman centurion, basically the Lord used this Roman centurion, Julius Augustus, to spare the lives of 276 people. So what happens to 276 people on an island? How do they all get off the ship? They get off, we talked about it last week, they had pieces of the ship, there was part of the shipwreck, and those that could not swim were able to somehow paddle their way or kick their way into shore. Then those that could swim were able to swim in, and they all come in, and they get on an island, and what's the first thing you're thinking? What in the world am I going to face here? How in the world am I going to be able to talk to these people? Are we going to have any possessions? I mean, anybody here remember the movie Castaway? You ever see that one? Remember that? I mean, the poor guy, I forget his name on the movie, but there's the FedEx plane crashes, and there's the, the, the bodies of the pilots laying there, and it's Tom Hanks, of course, and his best friend, of course, was a volleyball that he took blood out of his finger, and he made a face on it, and he's sitting there talking to the volleyball. How do you, how do you last? 
for more than a few months in the middle of all of that. You have to have a real understanding of basically the native culture. You have to understand how survival techniques, ways, things that you can eat, things that you can't eat. Are there ways to make medicines? Is there ways to have it? some way that you can have something in order if you get sick that you can get through it? Well, that's what you're probably thinking because when we looked on the map last week, Malta is this teeny tiny isle. It's only 17 miles wide and maybe 20 miles from north and south. It's, a, it's not a very big island. And it's right in the middle of where all these tempests are. And you see that off the coast of Africa, off the coast of Crete, off the coast of Greece, it's right there in the middle in a very tempestuous area off the coast of the Adriatic Sea. But we see this Roman centurion. He's the one that gives Paul... He gives Paul the ability to have friends, to be able to speak. You know, it would have been a really bad thing if, if this would have been one of these Roman centurions that was very militant against Christianity and told Paul to keep his mouth shut. Well, we know that that would have never happened because the Lord wanted him to speak. But Paul, at this point, actually carries a lot of authority. But we see here, as we read, pulling up in verse 3, they get onto the shore... And we see they're stiff, they're cold, they're crawling to shore, they're no doubt, they're freezing and they're cold, and once again very hungry. As they basically only had had one dinner, they get up there, and basically what's the first thing that happens, as we read? What's that, Lacey? Right. They're not only greeted, they're not looked at like there's some kind of pariah. They're looked at like, come on in. Welcome. I mean, where do you see that today? People opening up their houses, opening up their possessions to help other people. They're, they're showing hospitality. All of them are showing hospitality. They're not divided on it. But then again, how many people do they have to be hospitable to? Anybody remember? You're right. When's the last Thanksgiving or Christmas you had 276 people come into your place and you had to feed them? I remember a couple of funerals and a wedding here at the church where there was a couple of hundred, couple hundred people. And at one point, I remember the one wedding, we had to turn the chairs sideways and the pastor was up front and it was packed. People were standing around, just 200 people, not 276 people, 200. They were standing all the way around and there were cars that you had to use the parking lot stand. That was barely 200 people. 276 people, how do you feed them all? Well, the Lord has the Lord knows, and He did it, just like when He fed the five thousand. You know, it's just amazing the variety of places and the circumstances that Paul the Apostle found himself in. Uh, here we see him on an island, and then basically we see what happens to the their attitude starts changing when something really strange happens here. They receive this reception, and it is amazing how strangers can become friends when there are others in need. And these are friends indeed. And one of the things we didn't really get to talk about last week that I just wanted to bring it up real quick. Remember the wonderful parable. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. And remember how he took that man into the hotel. And he, he paid for him. And he, he loved him. And he took care. He didn't even know him. And, you know, there are people that are out there like that. And we are to be very careful because there are angels and unawares, as we talked about. But 276 people, they would be spared. And not only spared, but they would be taken care of. So these were bar barbarous people, uh, basically of Greek descent. They had a different language. We see that Dr. Luke was there, and he was able to help them. And we know that it could be a very dangerous part, a very uh, 
anxious part when you come up on some foreign island and people are greeting you. So what happens? They greet them, show them hospitality. We saw here in verse 2 how not only did they kindle a great big fire to welcome them in, which they must have loved that because they were freezing cold. It's the winter now. It's wet. They're cold. They come up, and then all of a sudden there is this apostle, Paul, who's sick as he could be. He had already been beaten. He had already been stoned. He had already had his back ripped wide open with, with these scourges. And there he is, sick as he could be, and at this point, getting closer to later on in his life, I read and I've heard many sermons over the years where at this point he was losing his eyesight. Many people think that's what that thorn in his side he was talking about, where the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He was now losing his eyesight. And I think we can see that because we don't read about him writing a whole lot. It was Dr. Luke and there was Mark. Remember Mark from Cyprus who who was the cousin, I believe, of um, Barnabas. And basically, he did a lot of recording for Paul, but Dr. Luke did an awful lot of recording. And he had people that he dictated to. Uh, Timothy. Timothy did a lot of writing for him. And why? Because he couldn't see very well. And if you think it's hard to write now with some of the technology we have now, he, how could you ma imagine holding a pen and writing on some of, the, some of the type of paper and all that they had back then? And so, with this being said, Paul's sick. What does he do? He gets up and he helps and he grabs the sticks and he starts putting them on and he, he shows he, he's, he's, he's willing to, to chip in. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Pastor Coleman. Every time he comes here and we have lunch, he'll, he always either grabs a, 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 a dish towel downstairs and he helps dry the dishes or he, he'll just walk and just, you'll just, you'll, he'll disappear and he comes back with a vacuum cleaner and he'll vacuum downstairs. He's always willing to chip in and that's what it was like for him. I can say that because he's not here. But when he was at Apollo and they stayed at Apollo, I've preached there before and that church needs a lot of work. He was constantly working, fixing things and planting gardens and just always doing something you know, to, help the, the, to help, the, help the cause there. That's what Paul's doing. And we see the, he, he picks up these sticks, and they were old, and po po probably these sticks were old and dry, and it was cold out, it was winter season, and everybody was cold and dry standing around, and then all of a sudden, all of these dead sticks are all being thrown on the fire, but all of a sudden, one of them started to move. Got into that last week a little bit, but we really kind of generally went through that, but all of a sudden, it, one moved, it was in the midst of the brush, and what was it? It is a torpid viper, or known in the region as a venomous asp, and it lay as dead quiet till it felt the fire. It may have very well been in hibernation. And uh, either way, the warmth of the fire stoked that viper up, and it must have, when it got warm, it jumped onto his arm and dug his fangs right into Paul's arm. How did he live? This, according to, according to Josephus and according to just about every commentary, is the most, one of the most deadliest snakes there is on the face of the earth. It's called an asp. It's venomous. And it should have killed him immediately. He should have swelled up. His heart should have swelled up. He should have been dead. And he's standing there, and the thing's hanging off of his arm. Now, there's all kinds of stuff with theologians. And, oh, well, this is one of those ones that didn't have any venom. It was one of those ones that held back its venom, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, no, it wasn't. It was a miracle. The Lord did this. This was a, this was a teaching lesson. And as Pastor Olson and I were talking about it last week, he's, he was talking about 
Paul, we were talking over lunch, how many of these crazy churches today go back to these verses and they literally have these snake sessions where they have snakes in their church in some of these pagan churches and they have them and they wrestle them and they put them up and these idiots die. They get bit. And they go back to these verses where they really think that they could do what Paul did. And they can't do it. So this viper's hanging off of his arm. Have you ever been out in the yard? Have you ever been in some of the brush or anything and all of a sudden you bent down and you saw something slither out? You ever seen that? It scares a living daylights. I remember my neighbor in front of me, he has, several years ago, he goes, he has this little barn and this guy's, this guy's a real, he, he's kind of crazy. He's a tree hugger. I mean, you're not allowed to even look at his trees wrong. And he'll, he'll yell at you. He's crazy. And he goes into his barn to tend to something. And all of a sudden, I hear this yelling and screaming. Ah, ah. He comes out, and I went, what's wrong, Jim? He had a black snake hanging off of his shoulder. And it fell down from the roof, and it's hanging off his shoulder. And he's like going around like this, and he's scared to death, and he throws it down. And then we, we, I helped him grab it, and then we put it down in the woods. And, I mean... That'll get you, that'll wake you up in the morning, something like that. So the reason I say that is look at the reaction that we would have. I mean, I know with the reaction I have, if I see a rat, oh, I hate rats. I hate them. I'm, I'm just like Indiana Jones. I hate rats. I hate them. And you see them, it makes you jump. So what happens? I don't read one part of this verse where it says Paul even flinched. It doesn't even say he screamed. Whoa, there's a snake. It doesn't say anything. He just stood there. And he, it was like, don't threaten me with heaven, snake. You know? And he just stands there and he does nothing. Well, what could have happened if he went like this and flung it off his arm? It could have landed on Luke or Aristarchus or, or Publius. Or some landed on somebody and bit them and killed them. You know, maybe if it didn't exact its venom into him, it would do it to somebody else. But he stands there and it drops into the fire. I, you know, I remember this story when I was a kid, Lisey. That brings up a fantastic point. It was almost like he was saying, get thee behind me, Satan. And there's the serpent. You know how the Lord takes the serpent and he has the power to cast away the serpent and, and, and to put him away? It's, that's, that's exactly right. It's like Paul was saying, get thee behind me, Satan. You are interrupting my ability to get ready to preach to these people. That's almost exactly what it was like. That's a good point. So, so basically, the, the, the snakes, the serpents, the venomous creatures, they often lie among sticks. Uh, you have to be very careful on wood piles and, and stumps and, and dry, dry, dry areas. And here it comes up, and it basically it hangs off Paul's arm. So what happens here basically is there is an immediate reaction by the natives. This is where it could have gotten a little tense, because all of a sudden... It's hanging off of his arm. The barbarous people basically declare that vengeance is mine. I will repay, in a sense. They villainize Paul, and they say, well, he came off of that ship, and one thing we do know, that was a transport ship for criminals. And most of the criminals that are being transported from Rome that aren't being kept at their local, local prisons, they're being taken to Rome to be executed. A lot of them were. They were being, they, they, when you were on that boat, you were basically, a lot of you were on death row, and you were going before the king, and you were, that's where you would face execution. And so basically, they're all on there, and now they're saying, wow, the, the snake, the viper's hanging off of his arm at this point. 
he must be a murderer. He must be, he, he must be really guilty because look at what's happened to him already. Well, if you're one of them and you said that and you're like, ah, whatever, and you walk away, and then, you know, it's like turning the channel and coming back to the, to the station. <laughs> they come back and they see he's standing there. He's not, there's nothing wrong with him. And they're like, what happened? How's he not dead? What are some of the symptoms you can get with a snake bite? Anybody know that? Dave. That's a big one. <laughs> but there's a lot of other things. Right. That's right. <laughs> you're done. They <laughs> say your last year. Ooh. Quick. Yeah. And all of a sudden you freeze up, your joints can your joints can freeze up, your 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 legs can swell, your arm can swell, and all of a sudden Yeah. You get real you get real jaundiced. And then these things are all what what was supposed to happen to Paul. When he come back, his skin looks great. He's he's walking around. He basically takes it, throws it off of his arm, get off get you know, get off of me. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing how the pagan culture. It's, I think this is a good application. It's amazing how all of a sudden they, they, even though they're pagan, they have a sense that murder is wrong and that Paul should be punished for being a murderer. Isn't it amazing? They have a sense of that that they knew something was wrong, and that goes right back to one of these, these commandments here. You know, there's thou shalt not kill. Okay, number seven. Thou no, no six. Number seven, I'm sorry. Thou shalt not kill. They know that murder's wrong, and they say he basically deserves to die with the snake hanging off of his arm. That's vengeance. Now, what divine vengeance they were thinking, we don't know. But we do know this. When it turns around and they change their tune, basically everything's a god. But that's what, that's, sadly, that's what we have in America today. Everything's a god. Everything's a god. The movie stars are gods. The sports figures are gods. Everything's Greek now. You have all these commercials with Greek sayings and all these different things. And basically, that's what it's like here. And we see how basically the question raises, there's two major applications here before I go forward, that they show basically about their reaction towards what happened to Paul. And I don't, I'm not going to stay on this too long, but I think it's interesting in looking at because, uh, you know, there were, I was reading Matthew Henry, and he brought up some components to this. And I thought it was fascinating that it was such a deep application to this. There were two applications that they give of what happens to Paul here is, number one, they deserved it. He, they think he deserved it. And they believe that they're basically the judge and the jury. And here they thought that all the wicked people are punished in this life. It doesn't always go that way. I mean, the application here is they think he's wicked and he is immediately going to be dealt with. Is it, does it always happen like that when people are wicked? I mean, that's what basically, that when you really think about it, how many times do you hear people when you, you say, you know, you believe in the Lord, and maybe you're witnessing to them, and something bad happens to somebody. Maybe it's a big political figure or somebody that was a murderer. They got to, what's the first thing they say? Karma. Yes, that's karma. And they always believe that what comes around goes around. 
And I like to tell you, well, I've, I've had many people say that to me, and I like to say to them, you better hope that karma's not real, because karma's not very forgiving. <laughs> There's no forgiveness. There's no redemption in karma. You know, I believe in, I mean, this is wrong. I, say, I believe in Godma, <laughs> you know, that basically we have a forgiving and a merciful God. They believed that he deserved it. I mean, look at what happened to Jeremiah. Can, can maybe somebody look up Jeremiah 48, verses 43 to 44? This is an application to the Israelites, but this is basically what they were thinking. Jeremiah 48, 43, and 44. And that's, that's kind of what they're, they're, ta they're taking in, basically, saying he deserved what he gets. And I always the reason I bring this up, because I'm building a case, because look what happens here in a minute. The second application, where you can also go to Amos 5.19, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went, into the, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. So, and he deserves what he gets when, it, in a lot of pagan cultures, if you get a snake bite, you're somebody horrible. The first application is they believe that Paul deserved it. But the second application is very, it's kind of abstract, and I think it's fascinating. Everybody gets theirs. That's what they're saying. Going back to the first application, these unfamiliar people thought that all wicked people were punished in this life, that some divine vengeance never suffers great and notorious sinners, such as murderers or any other partakers of heinous crimes. And first of all, a lot of them do get punished, but a lot of them don't get punished. And a lot of times, people do not get what they deserve. A lot of times, people actually get away with it 100%. We can name a lot of people that have gotten away some pretty heinous crimes. And I'm sorry, you might say that O.J. Simpson's in jail right now, but it's not for him murdering those two people, which there's no doubt that he did. It's so beyond reasonable doubt, it's crazy. He didn't get what he deserved. What about Ted Kennedy? Did he get what he deserved after murdering that girl? He didn't mean it, but he didn't do anything about it. I mean, look, he got away with that, and, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. And that brings up the major application what does Pastor Olson always say? Jacob? That's right. <laughs> oh, it's coming. One way or the other. The Lord deals with us by our merits and He rewards us. And He can punish us for our actions. Now the big question is, as Christians, with the blood of Christ cleansing our sins, when we go and we stand before the judgment, are we required for all those sins in front of God when Christ stands there in our stead? Many say yes, I say no, I've heard many say no, that we're not, we're not going to be facing the same tribunal as those that are unsaved. And Christ is, he stands in our stead and he shows the holes in his hands and you're free. It's that simple. He said he would do it. Are we judged twice? We're judged on this earth, but we repent and the Lord comes in and he draws us to him and he saves us. And I think that is a massive, massive application here. Because if we all got what we deserved, what would we get? We wouldn't get what we have, that's for sure, because a lot of us, the Lord takes wonderful care of us. Paul's reaction. Here's his reaction. Here's the snake fastened to his hand. He didn't flinch. He did not yell. He did not cry. He did not waver. His faith was manifested in the fact that he reacted with poise, and his reaction was found to honor and glorify our Lord. 
He did not throw it off. He did not curse. He did not scream. He did not act crazy. He just threw it off. And here Paul has the faith that Christ has left with the disciples. Here's a wonderful presence of mine. He shows honor and glory, and all of this is to teach them a lesson that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Even take a viper which fangs are dug into my arm, I can throw it off. Now, I'm not saying we're all going to go around with that kind of faith and be stupid enough to put our hands in front of a snake and say, no. But this is what the Lord had for Paul. Paul, as an apostle, had unlimited power given by Christ to do these things. And here I find another application. What happens next, I think it accentuates this miracle. If you read and you really read and you study it, look what happens next. First of all, Paul has faith. Can somebody read Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 17, please? Matthew 16, yes, I want to make sure I get that right. 15 to 17. Matthew, no, um, wait, wait a minute. I, th I, do, I think I did get it wrong. Mark 16, 15 to 17. I'm sorry, I, I kind of thought I wrote that down wrong. Yeah, Mark 16, 15 and 16. I'm sorry, Teresa. See if, yep, that's it. Please, please read verse 18. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Did our Lord, did he miss anything? What did he say? They shall take serpents and drink things that are poisonous for them, and it won't hurt them. It won't hurt them. Here Paul, without fear, casts off the serpent. It gives us a reminder that Christ casts off the serpents in our lives. Only he has the power to contain and destroy Satan. Satan is the serpent, and only Christ can hold us back from the temptations of Satan. This is a wonderful application. All throughout Scripture, the serpent has always been an example of sin and danger and death. Remember when the serpent was held up with Moses and the people were healed? It was to show them that the serpent was deadly and that they are redeemed and they are healed from that. And here, once again, we see another serpent. We know the serpent in the garden. We remember what happened with Adam and Eve and how Satan, the Lord cursed Satan and he's a, he creeps along the earth. He gets into trouble. He's nothing but a snake. He's nothing but a serpent. And that's basically even today, we even use the same terminology. He's as slippery as a snake. Boy, is he a snake. Is that a good thing when you say somebody is a snake? Does that come back, does the tenor of that say that they have some kind of integrity or some kind of real good qualities? No, when you call them a snake, you're saying that they're bad. And that's what it is. And here we, we look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Could someone look that up a while? And this shows us basically that Christ has the power to contain Satan and he has the power to give eternal life. We always need to look at that. It's very important. 
1 John 5, 17 to 20. And we learn here, thank you, Jacob, we learn here that only Christ has the power to contain the serpent. And so the, the snake drops off. Basically, everyone sees this. And now nothing happens to Paul, so you can't end the story there. There has to be a reaction to this. There has to be something to kind of like pronounce this incredible miracle happening and all of a sudden, you don't hear from Luke, except he's writing this. You don't hear from Paul. You don't hear from Aristarchus. You don't hear from Julius. You don't hear from the soldiers. Who do you hear from? The natives. And all of a sudden, and this is funny about pagan religions, how fickle they are. They're so fickle. All of a sudden, when the viper drops off, what happens? Here's the reactions. Now Paul is not guilty of murder all of a sudden. Now he's a god. And at this point, they had no belief in who the true and living God is. People will follow anything. And they will. And that's why it's so important for leaders to properly lead. If they don't, they lead the people that follow them into the traffic or into basically pied pipering them into the ocean. That's, that's, that's what's so sad today about a lot of religions. And so we see here, Zechariah 10.2 says, For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie, and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore they went their way as a flock. They were troubled because there was no shepherd. And here Paul is the one they need to listen to. They finally, finally found a shepherd. And there Paul is. And it's amazing, the fickle nature of pagans. Remember how there was a Pharaoh that knew Joseph, and that knew Joseph and personally knew and loved the Israelites. But then there was a Pharaoh that hated Joseph and who hated Moses. And Moses had to deal with him and go through all the things he did. In Paul's case, remember, remember what, what were the names that Barnabas and Paul were given back in Acts 14 that we studied for weeks? Remember, the people came out and they're like, they're gods. What did they call them? Remember? It, it was two Greek gods. Yes. That's what that's what happened. See see how fickle they are? Here he he's healing people. You go back and you can plug that right into Jesus. Look at what he did when we were we learned a few weeks ago at the Thanksgiving service. The blind man. The people hated him. The man had not seen in over 38 years, and he gives him his eyesight back, and everybody but that blind man despised him. How do you hate somebody? Do you hate your doctor when he gives you the right antibiotic? Do you do that? Here, Christ didn't give antibiotics. He just flat out healed somebody to the point where they would grow arms back, ten lepers. Remember Pastor Coleman and Pastor Olson, when he preached up at the Thanksgiving service, they both preached... 
Ten lepers, how many thank the Lord? And that's probably the normal percentage of how many people really thank the Lord when they're in trouble and they have things that are taken care of. One out of ten. Do you have any idea how bad leprosy? Have you ever seen pictures of lepers that really have danced? Oh, it's an ugly sight. It's like, well, like a Michael Jackson video thriller or something. They're, they're, their skin's falling off and they got this skeleton. It's terrible. And so basically, they're now saying that once again, Paul is a god. Well, the names that he and Barnabas were given was Jupiter and Mercurius. And they were calling them gods. And all of a sudden, when they said, no, 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 no. Please don't worship us. We don't accept worship, even though Christ did. That's wonderful. They come back and they did stone him. They stoned him. They came back and stoned him. And the disciples had to get him, thinking he was dead. And Paul lived through the stoning. So far, what has he lived through? I think it's a very good thing to go through as as a good study. What has he lived through so far? Lashes. Lashes. Deadly scourges that went to the bone. They weren't just little glasses. These were real scourges like Christ got. That's one. How many people in your lifetime do you know of that survived a stoning that you've ever heard of? There's only one I've ever heard of, and that's Paul. Now, you, didn't, you, didn't, you never survived that. That's not going to... Stephen couldn't. I mean, poor Stephen, but the Lord loved him. And now he's a god. All of a sudden he's a murderer, and now he's a god. It's amazing the fickle nature of the pagans. Paul was vilified, then he's magnified. That's important as a Christian to not be fickle. That's important to not grow wayward in your beliefs. And one minute you love Christ, and the next minute, well, I had a bad day. He must not love me. Where's where's this God in the heavens now? You saying that, you don't believe in him. You don't believe in the efficacy of the power that he has. He's going to use trials in your life, things that are almost unbearable that are going to lift you up, and you can use them to strengthen other people. You can either do that or hide in a hole and just let other people see you wilt, which is a... Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that facetiously, because some people, I mean, a lot, I've known them, it's hard, it takes time when tragedy hits. But I always go back to Elizabeth Elliot. She's one of many. Elizabeth Elliot took that horrible... She, they were married in their 20s, and she lived her whole life being a missionary and quoting her husband. There, you can read tons. You ever get down... Get online, read the Bible first, of course. But get online or go somewhere and find the quotes. Look at the quotes of Elizabeth Elliot. She's got wonderful quotes. And she talks about her husband, Jim, Jim Elliot, at the age of 28 years old. He had wonderful quotes. They're uplifting quotes in the midst of peril. And here, Paul, here, here he goes. The reaction of this, the viper falling off of his arm in a couple minutes is now he's a god. And they look at him like he's a god. But does Paul stop there? This is what really took me to Jesus. Everything in here takes you to Jesus. This is what really took me to Jesus. Because, you know, it starts off, there's the shipwreck. They all make it on the island. They're all warm now. They've been taken care of. The Lord has put it in all of the natives' hearts to warm them up and to feed them. And it turns out that Publius, who has great possessions, has such a big a big abode, I don't know what it was, a mansion or whether it was a fortress, I don't know what it was, he was able to house all 276 people and take care of them. And personally, I believe as we see down the road, there was a church started there. I believe Publius, he got saved, I believe that centurion got saved, and I believe Paul checked on him, he he helped get that church started. And some of his writings went back to them. I personally believe that. John MacArthur said that. And it just really, it, man, it just ignited my brain when I was reading this. Because I kept telling Lisa, I wonder if that was a third Roman centurion that was saved. 
We were talking about that several times over the last couple. I wonder if that was the third. And then I listened to John MacArthur goes, that Roman centurion was saved. And I'm like, well, if he said it, I can believe that. You know? And he gave all these good reasons why he was saved. So all of this is happening. They're standing around. The natives have now declared Paul a god. He's like, well, I'm going to show him some more incredible miracles of our Lord. Look what happens in the next verses. We see Publius, and his father is sick, and he has this horrible disease. What is this disease? First of all, Christ never healed in these little tiny increments. Matthew 15, 30, we read, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, and the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified God of Israel. And we see in Mark 1.33, And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they, because they knew him. They knew him. The devils knew him. Why? Isn't it sad that the devils know him, but people don't? It doesn't mean they were saved. They knew him, they hated him, but people don't even believe he existed now. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. What happens is Publius's father has this disease. And let me go over this real quick. Publius is the chief man of the island. I'm sorry, did somebody have their hand up? Lisa or something? No, no, okay. Yes. That was part of the problem, and that's how they got this disease. That's, that's, that's excellent. Publius is the chief man of the island. He's called the leading citizen. Those are the terminologies that shows this Greek phrase that indicates that Publius is he's basically a Roman governor of Malta with great possessions. His father is sick with a fever. Fevers are very dangerous. And we know, especially in the last couple of months, um, some, of the, some of the horrible uh, symptoms. There's high temperatures, there's loss of weight, there's coldness, vomiting, nausea, headaches, Joint muscle stiffness and lack of energy are some of the effects. It's amazing how a lot of these are the same symptoms of being bit by a snake <laughs> that we were just talking about. But this one was caused, this is actually in the day, there was a major disease on the Isle of Maltese or Malta. And the problem was because of dysentery, and because of the lack of sanitation, they would drink goat's milk and the goat's milk was not purified and they would get these horrible reoccurring gastric diseases that were actually had them spitting blood and they were in such pain they couldn't even stand it. And basically Publius's father was dying. He didn't just have a gastric problem, he was dying. He was in bad shape. So what does Paul do? Without any, without any hesitation, it says here basically, and, and it came to pass in verse 8, that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and prayed. Laid his hands on him. He says, get up, get out of here, you're healed. But he doesn't stop there. He, he, and it says also, so when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. For days, Paul stood there and people walked to him and came. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he healed them one after the other. And most of them probably had this disease. One after the other, he healed them over and over and over again. And you know, back in John chapter 21, 25 says, 
And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And here Christ is still doing it through Paul. Look at that. Look at He's still healing through Paul. We don't just look at this and say, well, Christ is up in heaven. Paul's doing the healing now. And, and you know, the list does stuff. He was still sitting on the right hand of God. And that's how he cares about us. He does it through Paul. Paul heals Publius' father, and all these other people come to him, and then they house him. And then look at the end of it here. But when we finish up, it says, they, in verse 10, or in verse 9 and 10, so when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laid at us with such things as were necessary. They gave everything they had. Look at the hospitality. It's just, it's, it's incredible. They get fed, they get the warmth, and then they were given all the necessary items to board the ship, which this Alexandrian ship, another, uh, it's another coastal ship is going to come, load them back up and take them up to Rome. And they feed them and give them possessions to take them back. It's just, I mean, it's just one thing after another. So we'll finish there. We'll look at what Castor and Pollux means next week, and we've got maybe a couple more weeks and We'll be going somewhere else. So I'd like you to ask maybe, um, I'd like to ask if, Charlie, could you close us this morning, Charlie? Thank you.